Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, but two amazing guests from the Eric Andre show, from the movie Bad Trip, and from the brand new book, Dumb Ideas, Eric Andre and Dan Curry are here. And it is a fun conversation and I'll tell you more about it in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at Left for Damien. If you want to get in touch with the show, you hit that email address, or you head over to Turned Out a Punk on at Turned Out a Punk on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, or Instagram. There's pages for Turned Out a Punk on all those platforms. And uh, you can find out stuff about the show over there. Check out videos or all sorts of other stuff that you do on those platforms. I don't know. I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. If you're listening to this when it came out, we are currently on tour. You can find out more information over at fuckedup.cc. We're in Europe. And uh, in, in, get get also records that we put out. And merch and other stuff. We have upcoming tours and, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can find it all over there at fuckedup.cc. Brand new record called Show Friends 2. Probably a couple other new records. We put a lot of records. I'm looking at a stack right now. Oh, live at the Rivoli record too. Lots of new stuff over there. Check it on out. All right. On to today's show. As I said off the top, on the show today, Dan Curry and Eric Andre from the Eric Andre show, from the movie Bad Trip, and from this new book, Dumb Ideas, all of which are hilarious. Uh, Dan is Eric's writing partner. They go way back when they met while talking about punk, as you'll find out about, or, or through punk, as you'll find out on this episode. Eric is someone I've wanted to have a sit-down conversation with for a long time, because as you'll hear on the show, first time I met him did not go very well, and the second time I met him did not go very well. And I assure him it was him the second time. I've had to verify from a bunch of other sources. It'll all make sense when you hear the episode. Uh, and, and that's it. I don't really want to go on too much because this is a very long episode. Uh, Eric uh, is around for a bit, then has to run off and do Hollywood jet set things. But Dan sticks around to talk about the core and the hardcore and the punks. And the I guess the core is the hardcore. Maybe it's the ska core. We talk a little bit about ska. No, I don't think we talk anything about ska. Anyway, so you're going to hear it all in one second. As I said before, though, this brand new hilarious book, Dumb Ideas, is in stores now. And it's a fantastic book. It's kind of, well, I guess the subtitle is a behind-the-scenes expose on making pranks 
and other stupid creative endeavors and how you can also too. And it is kind of a how-to book on pulling pranks. So maybe a don't try this at home uh, a precursor should be thrown out there as well. And uh, But it's a fantastically funny book and goes through the whole sort of history and it's kind of a biography as well and and uh, uh, behind the scenes on the Eric Andre show. And, and it's it's a fun book, fun read. And that is available, as I said, from Simon & Schuster everywhere as of now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Eric Andre and Dan Curry on Turned Out a Punk. So we can cut out any, if you guys want to say private shit, well, now that we're on the record, don't worry, I can cut it out afterwards. Okay. I, I no, realize yeah, I, that. I'll... I'll I was gonna read. I was gonna read my journal out loud. But. <laughs> well, we, we, we'll save that. We'll save that for the Patreon. Um, I am very excited to talk to both of you today because I got your book this afternoon, and it's fantastic. I did. A, I had to. I've got three kids, so I was trying to get them out of the house. So I had to read three. You know, three kids shit into the car, and then I'm reading the book at the same time. But fantastic book. Huge fan of your work. Eric and Dan, Dan and Eric, thank you for coming to Turn Down a Punk. No problem. No problem. Th- three kids, that's no small feat. No, yeah. no. Dan and I were just talking about it, though. Like I, Dan has two. I have zero. Well, I've never, it, I've never even hugged a girl before. <laughs> it changes everything. You know, I'm sure Dan's bored mm-hmm. you with this kind of shit before. We try, I thought we were going to hear all the dad talk off. Yeah. Off There's a difference between two and three, because three, I know friends who had three kids and their faces changed. Like between one and two is one look, <laughs> and then three is like, what have I done? So I'm a number three, yeah. so I get it. My cousin has four. Can you imagine having four kids? No, that's no. wild. What is Nick Cannon thinking? What's going on in Nick Cannon's mind? He needs he needs that operation. I learned about it from the Circle Jerks way back when. Vasectomy. I, it was preordained, but I once we had three, we're like, okay, we're going to cut this pipeline. Nice. <laughs> uh, <five. laughs> I gotta say, uh, Dan, I'm very excited to meet you. Eric, I have met you twice before, both of which I would describe as two of the most embarrassing incidences of my life. No, no. First time was at Fuck Yeah Fest. Uh, I was on 2CI or 2CB or one of those researchy chemically things. And yeah, got- I've done one of those before. And I was, I never did it again. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I got introduced to you and I was convinced that you had been on my TV show in Canada. And so as I was being introduced to you, I kept insisting, no, no, we've met before. We've met before. And uh, (laughs) was it it Beckles? No, no, no. Beckles is a homie. I know Beckles. We're going to talk about Beckles. Don't worry. No, this was Eric. You did. You had Octomom on your Uh, show. uh Aha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time I one time I was at the airport with Beckles and somebody went. This woman came up to us. And she was like, "Are y'all brothers?" And then she goes, "Oh no, wait a minute!" And she pointed to Beckles. She goes, "You're the dad." And she pointed to me and said, "You're the son." And, uh, I, started, I started laughing, and Beckles did not find that funny. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I have I have talked to Beckles about trying to get him on the show because he's got stories. He knows where all the bodies are buried when it comes to Vice. Oh yeah, no oh, shit. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm not touching that with a temple. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, 
let him yeah. lead the I'll let him lead the brigade on that. Absolutely. Hachi, we'll say that. So you were on two CI and like looking at watching Octobump. What was, if we you were like you've been on my show, man, I swear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I met you again at a vice party where I was rolling on like five thousand milligrams of THC in Toronto, where I decided it would be in my anxiety freak out moment that it would be a great idea to try and explain to you that I was high on drugs last time I had met you. And as we're being <laughs> led through a Skrillex set to the backstage area, I'm like coming up to you high out of my mind being like, Hey Eric, it's great to meet you again. Last time I met you I was high on two CI. And <laughs> you were very Wait, what, 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 where was this? In Toronto at the uh, vice 20. It's remember Skrillex played a track played. You were, there was uh Sarush. And it was in a huge warehouse. I think you're thinking of Derek Beckles again. I'm uh, definitely not. I swear <laughs> to God. I, I don't I don't remember any of that. <laughs> it would have been about not Sk- 12 years ago. In Toronto? Sk- I never saw Skrillex in A-Track in Toronto. Did you go to a, par- a vice party at a crazy warehouse one time in Toronto? I don't remember. I don't think so. I, I, I swear this happened. I can call my brother as verification on this because he's like, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. Why are you doing this? You might be uh, thinking you might be thinking of um Jesse Smollett from Empire. Yeah, it's probably no, Jesse Smollett. Well, He's a man to... that faked a racial attack for <laughs> for a contract negotiation tactic. Oh my god, yeah. we have gone already way downhill on this show. I apologize <laughs> to both of you. I, I, I've been a dad for eleven years, so I don't know what two CI is. I don't I, what is it? It's rare. I, you don't have to even it's like a rare it's like a it's like a it's like a deep rare it's rare it's rare as heck i i sold out straight edge at 30 so i don't drink but i was very much into psychedelics and and cannabis and all this kind of stuff so uh it was a uh, a very exciting 30 to 35 you kept edge for 30 years i I did drugs when i was like 14 to like 16 then Um, boom then then i went straight edge I found the edge. There was no turning back. Except there was. Well, eventually, yeah. I realized, yeah. like, I'm so crazy. I'm on anti-anxiety pills. Like, weed is definitely a much easier, more convenient solution, which I've heard you talk shit about weed, Eric, and I wanted to to talk to you about this as we completely forget about Well, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it, do, it, it, it increases my anxiety. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't hit me right. It makes all my insecurities come to the forefront and makes me feel depressed and I don't like it. Are you a weed guy? It just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't mix with my brain chemistry. Yeah, I don't know. It must be a Pacific. It must be a Northeast thing because I'm like you, Dan. I, I love the weed. Yeah, I mean, it, most uh, people do. It uh, you know, sometimes you can get to that paranoid moment. I didn't smoke weed for years because I, when it was illegal, you'd get it, and then you'd try some strain and some too much, and I, I would like get paranoid. And now that I know my dosage and like what strains I like and there's usually they're helpful at the stores here you know and i i get what i want and i and i and i don't i i can't imagine i mean i i don't do it during the week anymore like i i made a switch and uh i'm trying not to drink at all except thanksgiving's coming and i and i, and I will i i uh it doesn't hit me right it makes me antisocial and I like drugs that reduce my anxiety and make me more social, not increase my anxiety, make me antisocial. I found it the opposite for me. Like I was, I'm terrible anxiety issues, um, as you can clearly tell. Um, but uh, we, I don't know, I find it much better than anti-anxiety. I would say I, I can't tell. You don't seem anxious. 
well, that's the weed. I guess it's working. So, what were you did. taking for anti-anxiety, benzodiazepine? I did Paxil, uh, Wellbutrin, because I, you know, like oh, I, SSRIs. Yes, SSRIs, and then I would also take Ativan, and did they help? Lorazepam, Xanax, benzos, benzos, and benzos and SSRIs. Would the SSRIs help? I don't know. Like I look back on it now, and I think it just made me really angry and really mean. Interesting. Interesting. I I took Wellbutrin to quit smoking cigarettes, and I became I quit smoking, but I became a completely different person. And I would wake up like super joyful, but like weird. I was like, oh, I'm super happy. I'm like, why? <laughs> and it, I was like questioning this like in supreme happiness that I was having because it was like fake. It just felt like a fake happiness happening. Mm-hmm. And I sat because like, it was because I don't I don't think I was I should have been taking it, but it, like they found a connection between. Wellbutrin and quitting smoking, like people who were taking Wellbutrin stopped smoking. So they're like, give it, give it to smokers, and then it was like, it worked, and then, but it, it didn't. I went back to cigarettes because I was like, no, I don't want to do Wellbutrin anymore. Because like, I didn't trust. It was like happy, but there was something off about it, you know. And I, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a brief try with Lexapro, and it was like that. Like in the morning, I'd be like, "Hey, I got pep in my step, and I have to get up and go to work." And uh, <laughs> I was like, "I don't have trouble yeah. waking up or starting my day." So it felt like I was like, "I don't know if this is reducing me my anxiety, but it's like making me weird." <laughs> yeah, it's like a crunchy <laughs> chemical happiness that it gives you. Yeah, uh, I guess it's better than clinical depression. Yeah, like whatever oh, works, yeah. whatever works yeah. for people. I, I had crazy, yeah. you know, not to get graphic, but I had sexual side effects from it. And that's why I went on the Wellbutrin from the Paxil and Prozac too. Just makes you not want to have sex in, in my case. And maybe that was better. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't jizz on the legs of bro. I remember having sex with my girlfriend and, and just being like, uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I, there's no end. There's no end in sight. And I have to, I have to go to bed. SSRIs are like an orgasm killer. Like that's yeah it's a bit strange um not but, much joy not much joys you get to experience in life besides a bit of a cookie and an orgasm so it's time it's tough yeah. to take that away well before we lose every listener because we've swayed so much from the format because i want to talk to both of you about this shit so much um i'm going to pick a number in my head between one and ten and I want each of you to pick the number to see who goes first um so i've got a number in my head uh dan what's the number it's uh eight. Okay. Eric, what's the number? Seven. The number is five. Eric, you are closer. Eric, how'd you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever heard the word or came across it? Uh I think I got into Buttle Surfers first. My first crush was a punk rock girl. A punk rock girl. And then my friend and then the very girl was like, you know, that there's a song called the Punk Rock Girl by Dead Milkman. And I was like, oh, I think I saw them on Beavis and Butthead. So it was a mix of Dead Milkman and Buttle Servers and Beavis and Butthead. And then uh, I think trying to impress her and uh, diving into punk and like all the freaks and geeks and weirdos and um, all the alternative programming type kids all hung out at this one square in, in Boca Raton, Florida called The Square. And uh, that's where a lot of music was traded and discussed. So, uh, yeah, I'd say Dead Kennedys, Dead Milkman, Buttle Surfers. Um, she was into the Exploited, but I didn't like Exploited. Um, 
uh, subhumans I loved um and also when you first buy a guitar the first thing you learn is a power chord and the easiest thing to emulate is punk it doesn't take any like uh, doesn't take a tremendous amount of virtuosic skill to get to a level of your like favorite songs um there are virtuoso there are virtuoso punk players but um i think uh yeah it might be the only place that doesn't privilege virtuosity where it's just like get up and fucking do it and figure out yeah yeah like nowhere else are they happy when you do that as an untrained person you get up and try and perform it but with punk it, it can work. It's also the only place to go after Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. There's like maximalism with prog rock. So like the only, the only yeah. uh, other place to go with rock was minimalism. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be the trajectory with all uh, the lifespan of all music genres. They start out like kind of primitive and crude and experimental. And then they kind of find their like first gen shape. Then they get more and more progressive until they're at this like maximalist state, then the only way, only way, only way out is through minimalism. The only way home. But I think it's also like you know, especially with the dead, well, the dead Kennedys and and the Buttle Surfers as well. To a certain point, like it's also the place where like success is a completely self-defined metric. Like you don't have to get famous to do it and like right. for first wave punk everyone wants to become a rock star right like all these bands want to become famous but after a certain point the butthole servers had to know like okay unless we're going to do pepper we're not going to get fucking famous like we're going to be right. too freaky too weird right yeah right yeah like uh and in fact a lot of those bands were like being famous was a bad thing mm-hmm. you know and capitalism was a bad thing so it's like um I also like responded to Dead Milkman and Buttle Servers and Dick Kennedy's because they had a sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was like very important in art to have a sense of humor. Yeah, I think, and that's the, it's interesting too, because like when Dan, we start talking about the stuff that you're kind of, well, at least the stuff you've dropped in the book, it's, it's almost like hardcore in the 90s gets more and more humorless. And last, like, you know, Earth Crisis, who you, I think you yeah. described as completely humorless. Yeah, they are. And it's, <laughs> it, it's fascinating how you have these, like, helixes going in punk at all different times, like the humor helix and, like, the serious helix and the art school helix versus the street rock and roll helix. And they're all kind of, like, intersecting together at different points, creating these bands. And, you know, when they're out of line with each other, you get stuff that's way more funny and way more goofy. And when they're out of line the other way, you get Earth Crisis. Yeah, yeah. The hardcore bands were fucking humorless. What's that one that we liked, Dan? The the oh, down oh, set, uh, down sex set. kills. Sex is sex kills is a great song. <laughs> one of the greatest. This is the second uh, time today down sets come up, and it's never come up until I was picking up my. I kids couldn't before. believe that song when I it like blew my mind. I was like, yeah. this guy's. Like, <laughs> I was like, surely you must be kidding. <laughs> You can hear, you can see, feel the frowns on the bass player's face while he's playing it. Like that's right, we're not having sex. It's like, wh- when do you? It's like primal. Like, what are you guys going to? Yeah, what all, are you? What have, are you talking about? They all have since recording that song, guarantee you. 
Like they're not. They're not. They're not hanging. That song thirty years ago. <laughs> sex kills. <laughs> sex kills. Sex I, kills is your point of view. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's that's. I the remember the listening. Sex kills. Well, like punk, you know, like minor threat, right? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah don't yeah. fuck is part of like being straight edge. That's why punk's awesome because it gives you like an escape hatch. It's like the real red pill, like the real like matrix shit, where you're like able what to like a fucking. What a weird! How did that get lumped in? Like, is it pure? Is it is it is it puritanical? Is it like trying to be Buddhist, but it's puritanical? I, I, like part it, of it's it, trying to be like achieve a state of like monkhood, but it's yeah. like it's just like Calvinist. I think what... I think there's something to that. I think there's like some sort of religious state because Ian Ian Mackay is a super interesting person, and people he, he's like a, people made him into a cult leader, and, and he's not. You know what I mean? Like he said a some bunch of things when he was 19 and then like 35 years later, people are like, ah, it's my Jesus. And it's like, no, I just, that was a song I wrote when I was 19. Cause those was like, I was seeing self-destruction around me and that was 19. This is, this is my statement of beliefs at that exact age. <laughs> and then it just, people carried it, like took it super seriously. Yeah. God, thank God. No one asked our opinion when we were 19 years old and uh, when we recorded it could you imagine recording your worldview at 19 and people like yeah. bringing it through that's oh it's amazing that, that guy still gets challenged about straight edge in his There's... like late 50s people are still coming up to him about something he wrote at 19 but that's the power like you say in the book dan it's not a religion it's not a cult i'm sorry yeah but it is right like we carry this shit our whole lives. Like when I when I broke straight edge and started smoking weed, certain of my friends wouldn't talk to me. It was like leaving Scientology. Like there were certain people that were like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fucking with you anymore because you're, gosh, you left it, right? And like Ian Mackay, you know, probably the same way, you know, once again, to extend this the most extreme thing possible, like in the same way, I'm sure like Christ, the historical Christ figure, was probably like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't like, I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude. Right. And then people turned it into something. Ian McKay in the same way, he's just a dude, but people have, you know, we all have in, I don't know, maybe not all of us, but like a lot of us have this internalized Ian McKay that's telling us don't sell out, don't do X, Y, or Z, don't fuck. But it's great when you're a kid because you can't have sex anyway. And all of a sudden you can take a moral stance like, yeah, I don't want to fuck. Like, forget about right. Yeah, yeah that's true. Those guys yeah. weren't getting laid anyway. No, nobody was getting but, laid in those days no. anyway. So, no. but to be like, yeah, I don't even want to fuck. It's like, yeah, okay. I don't even, no yeah. one's knocking your door down. To you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in a band in in high school, and the singer was like that. He's like, yeah, I'm just keeping it, and like, but he was intense. I was like, you could just do it too, like, because that's what I was trying to do. Like, I was like, yeah. closet smoking weed. And not straight edge in a band that like we decided we wouldn't be present as straight edge because the guitarist and the singer were straight edge and the drummer we had rotating drummers so we didn't care as long as you could play but I was like look I'm not straight edge but I'm not gonna like let's not make a big deal of it because <laughs> like, I'm like I can, but when I was at any hardcore event you would think I was because I didn't like. I wasn't like, yeah, man, I'm going to smoke weed in front of you. I'm like, these are the last people I'm smoking weed in front of. Yeah, no. You know, like my friends, like I'm from a town full of like hippies and shit. So it was like, I, I wanted to have friends, even though I hated their music. I'm like, well, you know, I had, I needed to hang out with people. And that's what we did. 
I'm going to challenge you on that. You're not from a, a town of just hippies. You're from a town of hardcore legends, Albany, right? Yeah, like oh, yeah. Albany, New Albany's, York. Albany's got some great stuff. I mean, the guy I was in a band with, uh, this guy, Mike Scola, they were in One King Down, and that's a Troy band, but they're phenomenal. Like, I, I, I sort of missed them in their heyday. You know, I, I, I listened to some of the stuff, but the pandemic, I got really back into hardcore. And I hadn't listened in a long time. I listened to punk, but like hardcore, you know, I remember the moment was there's two moments. One at an earth crisis show, I got punched in the face by some kid who just ran up to me and punched me in the face right when I walked what? in. And I was like, and he was like, and there's like this tiny fist too. So it wasn't like I like got knocked out. It was like, but he flew a punch in and I like chased him into a bathroom and I like got, I don't, I don't remember what happened, but it was just like, what are you going to do? I'm like, why'd you just fucking punch me in the face for and I left the show. And I remember being like, this is so violent and no one's doing anything about it. And I thought the violence of the show was just like beyond like reason, you know, like of anything I've ever seen. And then I've told you this story, Eric, before when I was at, I was watching a friend of this guy I knew was in a band and it was, they were called Hanson, just like the band, like Hanson, Umbop Hanson. And it was right before Umbop dropped. And I was and I knew I saw a commercial for Umbop and it was before Umbop blew up. And I was like, get Hanson. They got a new song. And I told the guy from Hardcore Hanson, I'm like, dude, there's a new band called Hanson coming out. They got a song. <laughs> it was like, was he, was he, was he, he was pissed? Like, dude, he was like, no, there's not. And he like just denied. It was like denialism. Like, you're a hater. I'm like, there's a band called Hanson. Right, like, right. I think, I think it's going to be a thing because the song, it's like a bubblegum pop song. And they're, <laughs> and they're like promoting the shit out of it. Like, flip, remember flipping through channels? That's how I found out about Han the, the the brothers Hanson. But at the show itself, that same singer band sucked, and they and the guy kept preaching between every song, and he kept saying, "Outside these walls, people don't understand what's going on." And I remember I peeked out; it was like a matinee hardcore show, and I peeked out the window, and it was like a beautiful upstate New York spring day, and like young people were laughing and playing and i'm like yeah, yeah, outside, yeah outside the walls is better than here like you're like the fucking rot you're just like this rotten bitter guy like <laughs> mad at the world and like out there it's like hey let's fall in love like people were like falling in love it was such a beautiful day Dude, and I, what about what about the guy from color me bad they're like singing and dancing and the one big fat guy just comes out and he like pushes the guy oh, off the stage <laughs> I think the one guy was like, "Hey, you can't <laughs> sing that part anymore. You're you're not hitting it." And so the guy sang the other guy's part. That's my story. I made up in my head. And he's yeah, like, yeah. How I don't dare you? <laughs> but like, this is something that happens in hardcore and punk all the time, right? Like, <laughs> people like will come to shows and punch someone from a band in the face because they talk shit <laughs> in the fanzine or yeah, oh, oh my yeah. God. you know it's like it's the shit that like is normalized in punk and hardcore is so fucking weird i remember they were opening for uh, us in uh, london and he took a beer crate uh and it's like a huge heavy beer crate he, and just throws the beer crate into the crowd and just busts this kid's face wide oh, open geez. and it's just like holy <laughs> fuck that's like that's just the whole beer crate there's no beer in it, but it's like one of those big fucking heavy yeah. ass beer crates. I mean, I'll bleep his name. I'll bleep his name. <laughs> Maybe there's some shit about that still. Um, but it's fucking crazy. Like this is just normal at hardcore shows to see someone do this kind of act of violence. But at a Color Me Bad show, someone gets pushed off the stage. It's like front page news. Yeah. 
Yeah, me that's bad. I mean color me bad. I want to look that up. Color me bad uh fight. It blew my mind. What the hell was that? Well, you know that guy's gonna get some blood. It was shed. in upstate New York. You know it was in upstate New York. Oh, it was. A lot happens in upstate New York. Yeah, that's that Earth Price is energy. It was it, I'm on Syracuse.com slash entertainment right now. It was in the Earth Crisis capital of it was in the, it was in where Earth Crisis? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was feeling the energy of the kids. Yeah. Syracuse. Uh, you probably know that about this, Danny, and you probably might know about this too, Eric. But uh, are you familiar with the yogurt bombings that would happen at Earth Crisis shows? People bomb them with yogurt. No. Yeah, because no. they were vegan. There, there were multiple shows that people would bomb them with yogurt as a fuck you. <laughs> and it was predominantly other vegans that would go to the store buy yogurt. And bomb Earth Crisis because they were like not talking about veganism in the way. That, well, then the way that these people felt that you should talk about veganism in like a way that was pro-choice or that was like. It's like religious fundamentalism. It's like different sects of like a religious. 100%. 100%. Fundamentalism. It's but, really, it's like schisms. And so I know of two yogurt bombing incidences. One happened in Middlesex College in New Jersey. And it was thrown by the lead singer of Ink and Dagger. And beside him was Eric Wareheim, who at the time was playing bass in Ink and Dagger. And then there was another yogurt bombing that happened in Olympia, Washington. And it was some guy who was a vegan dude from a hardcore band. And beside him was Ben Gibbard. So there's a greatness in proximity to these yogurt bombings in both cases. Whoa. I can't imagine. Going remember, do you remember Soy Bomb? Yeah. Uh, well, who was that? What happened Bob, that? Bob, Bob, Dylan. Bob Dylan show. He passed Soy Bomb. I, lo- oh. I looked him up one time. And uh, no way, RIP. Yeah, he confused the hell out of Bob Dylan. It's actually a really great piece because Bob, like, you think Bob Dylan was like con- being conceptual for a minute and like soy bombs <laughs> dancing around, and then you realize Bob Dylan just like, hey man, I got a new song. <laughs> he just like, <laughs> he, like tunes Wait, out. What was soy bomb all about? What was his? What was it? He was a performance artist. He's like, shit, Bob Dylan's here. Check out this these dance moves. And he's just like, I don't think he was all about a lot. He was like, I'm a mystery. And he just like he was like left it that way. He was like pre He was like pre-viral. He was like before like internet viral. There was just like entertainment tonight viral because you're like Bob Dylan blew a gasket. He was like, huh? What and he just like spaced out as Didn't Soy Jar- Bomb did his thing. And then Jarvis yeah, Cocker Soy did that Bomb to- is mysterious. Sorry. What's that? Oh, that's right. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, and then and then like uh didn't like Jarvis Cocker do it to Michael Jackson. Remember that? Where he like danced behind Michael Jackson at during a Michael Jackson show and got thrown out of the award show. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That was I don't yeah, like that. definitely it was like post soy bomb. Kind of Jarvis Cocker. That's gets sort him. of like that's like the Mentos commercial where the guy, the kid, he wants to get into the rock show yeah. and he sneaks in as a crew member and then he comes out. Oh, that's not a that's a Foo Fighters video doing a Mentos commercial. But I think there was also a Mentos commercial like that too. At some probably point. that anyway. seemed that's like the Mentos way. Like if you want something, you grab a Mentos and then disguise yourself and get in on the action directly. What are I'm, you watching, Eric? Uh, Soy Bomb is still alive. Oh, this, this just in. <laughs> the plot thickens. I mean, my, uh, I'm I all so. over the place. And that's a dream I had. It must have been a dream I had. I, I, I was like, a soy bomb alive? They're like, no, nah, he passed. But he's still alive. Soy bomb's alive. Dude, soy bomb's alive and well. 
And Michael Portnoy. And it would okay. seem it seem it would seem like Michael Portnoy is an artist in kind of like the mold that both of you kind of write about in the book a little bit, like pranks. You know, he's a, he's a pulling a prank. Yeah, I guess I was influenced I by. Think so. I think so. Portnoy okay. explained the poem's meaning. Soy represents dense nutritional life. Bomb is obviously an explosive, destructive force. So soy bomb is what I think art should be. Dense, transformational, explosive life. That's right. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe I, thought I it was like political, but I think I thought it was political, but I think he's just like rocking out. He's like, this is my chance to rock out. Yeah. Bob Dylan was like, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and soy is a dense uh nutritional value, and that's where he got it from. Okay. I don't know. It was some weird that... <laughs> benevolent. <laughs> Not every art has to have a statement, right? Like it just be about expression. Yeah. Are you have you guys seen that research pranks video ever that research did way no. back when? What's that? It's like a it's like sort of a history of art pranks and punk art pranks, I guess. Like Joe Coleman's oh. in it. And oh, I've yeah, I think I've seen that. Someone showed me that. It's amazing. It's it's fantastic how there's this kind of tradition within punk of of like large scale pranks, you know, Frank discussion from the feeders is in, it talks about digging up the, uh, the um, animal graveyard before they played the Gilman when he came out with all the dead animals all over himself and Ugh. live cockroaches glued to his head and, and things like it. There is this sort of like part of a punk, like you're talking about earlier, Eric, with a sense of humor, but there's also this sort of like fucking with society. And that goes right back to the beginning. Yeah, I like. I we like gotta it. do it. We gotta do a soy bomb sequel. Yeah, we could do the soy bomb sequel at the F one races. You should. You should put a soy bomb too. Sure. I think and then post, jump in front I think of the cars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think maybe it's um. Maybe it's tofu. IED. Tofu IED. What's this what thing called? Tofu drone. Tofu, tofu drone. drone. Yeah, there we it's go. It's like dense nutritional value in an ordnance system. Drone. Yeah. Modern. Bombs are old Clock school. Drones. Tofu drone. Sorry. We can do a drone with tofu and like have tofu on it. When's when's um when's Jeff Bezos gonna drop that dick pic? That's all I want to know. <laughs> Yeah. Let's see what you're working with, Jeff. If I had his money, do you think he got like dick implants? Because he has yeah. so much money. Do you, do you think he gets weird experimental surgeries and shit? What have do you, you the, do with? Have you heard the Elon Musk thing <laughs> that Elon Musk has a vibrator in his dick? What? <laughs> he put yeah. a vibrator. If you have, if yeah. you have that much money and you are. You must be psychotic. It must make you psychotic, and it, like, why wouldn't you just get robot parts put in all your body parts? Like, right? You gotta yeah. be like, what else can I buy? Right? It's because gotta you, make you delusional. Because we all know as human beings that we die, and these guys know it too. And they're like, shit. No matter what happens, no matter how many millions of dollars they have coming in a day, they're gonna die. So they're like, how do I? Like, I think a lot of them are trying to stave death. 
So yeah, they're like they're into it. Like, but putting a is well, that true? vibrator in the dick—that's I wouldn't do. That. Allegedly, allegedly, it's it's from. Uh, but my friend Brace from a Truanon podcast talked mm-hmm. all about it on the podcast. So it's not my information I'm bringing to light here for the first time. But allegedly, I don't think all, all the money in the world. I want to start chopping up my ding dong. That's like um, I don't know. That's tough. I think like uh, they can make it better. They have the technology. Well, my doctor said this. My doctor goes, the only reason we die is because our cells are programmed to die. But if they start making artificial cells that replace our, our the cells we're born with, or the cells that our body makes, then we could live forever and um, explore space. And I was like, shit, dude, you're talking some Star Trek shit, player. You go to a rich person's doctor now. That's why he's no, telling you this I shit. Go, no, I go. I, I, I honestly go to the like the DMV of doctors' offices. It's like I got. It was like the doctor that I got when I first moved to LA, and I was like flat broke. And it's like the, it's what come. It's the only doctor that comes with. I, I like booked a commercial, and I got my SAG after card. So it's like the one doctor that's completely free. Yeah, and I just yeah. li- like him, and I just stayed with him forever. Because, but that's it's okay. like. Not the fan. I'm not at the fancy, the bougie doctor. Well, because I think believe. that's best I think that's, belief. I think that's the thing. What happens when you have so much money, right? Like you just have nothing. You like you have enough money where you probably wake up every day. Well, I'm talking like Elon Musk money, and you're like, I could go out and I could improve a whole city of people's lives. You know, I could just make, I could make everyone's life fucking. Am- <laughs> I could clean Flint, Michigan water, or get a vibrator in my dick, or get a vibrator in my dick. <laughs> I started meditating a couple of years ago and I realized it was because the anxiety of not being able to fix all this shit that's happening in the world was making me crazy. So then it became like, well, I can fix myself. And I think that's why meditation becomes, you know, so essential. I got so many friends that are into meditation at, but once they achieve a certain level of success, because you want to fix the world, but you can't. And at the same time you can fix yourself. So it's just, I think it becomes a lot more about looking inward. I think you can fix yourself and you can fix your corner of the world and get into local politics. Yeah. 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 That's what I take. I take, I take naps almost if I can. Those (laughs) are the best 15 minutes instead of I meditate in the morning, but in in the afternoon, if I could do it, I will take 15 minutes. I'll pull over in a car nap. It's the best. And then I took one before I got on here. How do you do that? it's I don't know. I mean, I wake up early. I got kids, dog, all this stuff. So, like, if I'm waking up at six a.m. five five forty five, around two, I'm I'm I need I need to just decompress, and then I can finish the rest of the day. It's awesome. I don't know. I feel I wake up sick when I nap. I feel always sick to my stomach. Like, nah, I feel great. I feel like I'm like I got I got another five hours left. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just I don't know. I, I I wish I could. It definitely seems naps like out, naps help with Alzheimer's. Oh, do they? Nappers lower risk of Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah. think about like animals, man. They nap. Like our bodies, yeah. our human bodies are not made for like a technological late capitalist society. They're made for like hunting and gathering. So we would like hunt, we gather, we eat a big brunch. Late breakfast, early early lunch. Let's say, take a big ass nap with the water buffalo in the background and shit, and then we wake up and hunt some more and eat. 
dinner. I, I get more done with a nap. I do. I mean, I think the late capitalist. Hard attitude. to get to sleep. It's, it's hard to get to sleep at night, though, when you took too dank of a nap. Then I'm up till three in the morning. Oh, really? No, I, 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 I could get. I don't know. I take. I you take knock good. out. Me? With, with magnesium. Uh, do, you problem, do you have problems sleeping or you fucking hit the pillows and you're out like a goddamn light switch? I wake up every day four hours, like four hours in. I wake up every day at two in the morning. That sucks. And you, and you get back to sleep? Yeah, but I hate it. I want to. I had. A, I had a couple last night. I had a full, and that and that's rare. That's like only every five nights I have like a full. I get through all the whole night, and it's awesome. But I always wake up. Can't Can't help it. before you go to bed or anything. No, I I'm trying to dream. That's why I'm not smoking weed. So mm-hmm. uh, I. I like having dreams and uh, I'm developing a dream interpretation podcast. So I just want to like get back into the, get back into the zone. Cause I wasn't having them with weed consumption. I'm, I'm going to start doing steroids and get all Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Yes. Out. You gotta care. You say you think he's on steroids. You think, <laughs> no, I think that's natural. He's, you know, 59 years old and he has the body of a, of fucking, Ulysses and and it's not steroids anymore. I think in the in the WWE at this point, it's like it's like next generation HGH and all sorts of amazing uh, technologies that people are using. Oh yeah, he's a pin cushion. He's got crazy gizmos and gadgets. Oh, is going it worth it? Doesn't it mess you up later? Doesn't your your balls turn into raisins and stuff? I don't know. I don't know if it's old school eighty steroids. I think it's probably like designer. Design the whatever the designer drug version of growth hormone is. Uh, you know, he's very rich, and that's his uh, that's his thing. And his with, body mod hobby, yeah, that's his body mod hobby. And with his uh, age, with age comes less uh, muscles and testosterone and a slower metabolism. So, you gotta keep it up to keep Hollywood pumping. A lot of those guys are doing, I really don't know. I'm like. I have no, I've never read a single article about Dwayne The Rock Johnson's uh, <laughs> vitamin regimen. I'm just like riffing. A lot of the guys are going to South America to get uh, HGH, um, human growth hormone. Like I know Ray Mysterio got stem cells in uh, his knee to get his, uh, his knee back. And now he's back wrestling it like, fuck, how old is he? And his knees were shot. Yeah, but he's able well, to. Well, I think if you're like healing your like broken body that yeah. that's kind of cool but if you're just like i'm getting <laughs> ripped and i'm like might not be good it's like hella dangerous i think that's it like wrestling's like a faustian deal too where like everything you do shortens your lifespan shortens your career they say like the average bump in a ring is like a minor car crash and that's Oof. how many times they do uh. that right yeah, they. I just did Chris Jericho's podcast earlier today, and they uh, they tear their bodies up. He told me he did like a ladder match, and he got thrown out of the ring onto a ladder, and it like broke his coccyx, coccyx, or something. Uh... <laughs> and he's like, he's like, and I got through the match, the rest of the match, based like just on adrenaline. But he's like, that was the worst pain I've ever dealt with, and I can't. They can't do anything. They can't put a cast on it. So you just have to like be in agony with it's like broken tailbone. 
Where? Oh, that's where's that? Like his butt? It's the end is the very end of your tailbone. Oh, oh dang! He, he told me one time that he uh, wrestled this thing and and broke his arm. Right, like did a moonsault in practice and, and broke his arm. Went to the doctor, got a bunch of painkillers, had them set it. Goes back and does a match, and then pulls a blade <laughs> job, and and but he's on all these crazy painkillers, so his blood is just water. And it's just, you can see the match on YouTube. It's everyone, the referee's covered in his blood. Like, everyone's covered in his blood. Uh, uh. There's one wrestler back in the 80s. He, he had hepatitis, and he would, like, hit people in the head with a fork, and he like, plead all over him, and he gave <laughs> a bunch of wrestlers hepatitis. Abdul the Butcher. Abdul the Butcher, yeah. Abdul the Butcher. Yeah. yeah, he he gave the he gave the wrestler wrestler it's it's a real thing in wrestling like deathmatch wrestling especially where there's always blood they don't a lot of these guys don't get tested in Japan especially there's no testing for these a lot of these guys and so <laughs> it, it happens it's it's like uh, it's crazy too like deathmatch wrestling is you know like I want to talk to you about this because like there's a type of comedy and a type of like you know art broadly termed that wrestling falls under especially deathmatch wrestling where it's going to hurt you know it's going to hurt potentially you it might hurt the person that isn't other people involved in the situation and there's like a, a real cost to it and you definitely see that with wrestling right where like there's like so much risk and there's very little reward you know and especially in the beginning there's very little reward i imagine doing this sort of comedy too or aggressive type of comedy a new type of comedy but there is like real cost to it that's insane. These guys are insane. Ric Flair would take little razors and like slice his face up before matches. So when people would punch him, his face would like explode into like a blood geyser. <laughs> what about what about Steve-O and all the shit Steve-O did? Even before there was yeah. money involved or Danger Aaron when he was just doing yeah. it for fun, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. This guy, there's old wrestlers that would like eat glass bottles. Over matches and shit. Still happens. Guys eat light bulbs, like fluorescent light bulb tubes. Yeah. Yeah. It's Harry Funk. We'd like do those like barbed wire matches on ECW. Did you ever real that, barbed wire? Did you ever meet that kid Darby Allen who's he does stuff with like the Jackass guys a little bit? He's a current wrestler. Darby Allen. Maybe, maybe. Well, sounds familiar. He he uh, paints half his face like Looking a skull. He named himself after Darby Crash and Gigi Allen. Um Gigi. <laughs> yeah. And his main influence is Jackass on what he does. So he does unbelievable. Darby Allen. Crazy oh yeah, guy. he looks like he looks like Baron Samiti. <laughs> <laughs> he looks cool. He looks like Machine Gun Kelly. Kind of. Yeah, he's straight edge, but like the shit he does to himself, like it's fucking. He's crazy. full edge. Full Doesn't edge. have sex. Uh, no, he has no sex. sex. He has sex. I think that the no sex thing is a very extreme stance to take, even in the straight edge community. <laughs> no sex? And what does he have? Does he drink caffeine? I don't know. Actually, that's a, that's a good a question. I think it's more like mind-altering drugs. So I guess caffeine does alter your mind a little bit. My caffeine's a mind-altering drug. I want to bring weed into it. I'm like, weed's natural. We can have, Why can't I be straight edge and just smoke weed? I was straight edge when I was taking anti-anxiety pills. But I mean, the majority of drugs are natural. Right? No, not the majority of drugs. Psilocybin, weed, things that grow up from the ground are natural. Naturally, but I, like I, 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 ayahuasca, coffee, tea, mm -hmm. mushrooms, buffo, various toad venom, 
Uh, yeah, but there's 8,000 other drugs that are synthesized that they just make. They're like, hey, let's make it. Yeah. So most drugs are like, synth- like that are available. Are yeah, but they're getting, the, they're getting this, they're synthesizing it based off nature. It used to be just from plants. Yeah. But it feels okay. different. Cam- chamomile, catnip. Do you- it's not really different. Amanita muscaria. But like acid feels different than mushrooms. It's got that, you know, chemical. Yeah, but crunch. acid is from a bread mold. A- acid is, is ergot bread mold. It's from bread. It's a mold from bread. That's how it's they just, isolated it. It's just isolated. Yeah. So a lot of the chemical, a lot of drugs that are chemicals are based on something from nature that they just like extracted the, like mescaline's from peyote, acids from ergot mold. Uh, benzodiazepines, Xanax works exactly the same way as alcohol, which is fermented fruit juice or, 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 or barley or, or, uh, grains. I think it's like a drug though, that you can just pull from the earth. Like ayahuasca, you, I think you have to do a process, right? There's an extraction process. DMT certainly there's extraction processes. Well, DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca and bufal various toad venom. Toad venom is just the venom of the toad's legs. And ayahuasca is the is a, a root. It's like a tea. It's like a tea that they make. It's like a root and at leaves and they put it in water and they just kind of like brew a batch. It's like a stew. So it's not that much of a process. It's just like a soup. You smoke that toad venom though, right? Smoke the toad venom. But you, yeah. you've smoked it, right? I have, yeah. Is that, have you done DMT? Is it the same as DMT? Does it feel the same or is it? I've hit a DMT vape pen at one of, at our last couple of Eric Andre show rap parties. We were hitting it, right? Yeah, season five. I think I hit it with you. But, but but I never like ripped it because it tasted like melted plastic toys. Yeah, tires. gross. Yeah, Yeah, but the, the, um, Tasted like the water in a super soaker. Yeah, yeah, totally. Worse. It tasted like I was smoking weed out of a design bottle. But, but uh, the um, toad venom got like I've never been more high in my entire life. And it's how long does it last? Like just the shortest DMT, or is it more like like ayahuasca? Like ten minutes. Ten minutes. That's what I loved about DMT. Ayahuasca is only ayahuasca only lasted like four hours for me. I wasn't taking heroic doses, but did you vomit? I didn't vomit. I didn't vomit. No. I had other purges, but not a vomit. You shit your pants? I didn't shit my pants. I like politely walked to the <laughs> toilet, to the bathroom, and defecated. <laughs> That's my fear. So I'm just going to be in a room. Classic move. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 It wasn't. I. I didn't do a, a, some heroic dose where I'm like, blah, 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 <laughs> just like shitting and vomiting out of both ends. I did like. I did enough dose to make it count, enough of a dose to make it count, but I didn't, I wasn't, uh, but the toad venom, you're like completely absent from this reality. There's no, it's like being like under anesthesia. Well, now that we're talking about drugs, I got to ask you, what was it like working at Matador as an intern? It was the greatest. It was the greatest internship. I'm so grateful that they hired me it eased my transition from college in Boston into New York. It, it really was influential in shaping my decision to not pursue, pursue music um, and, and <laughs> get into comedy because I realized the music I wanted to make was so experimental and unmarketable 
that I was like, I'm going to live the life of a pauper if I um, go down this path. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed all, everybody I worked with. It was a great nurturing work environment. And I, I made friends there. I have a friend there that I still uh, talk with. It, it was just like a dream. It's a great place for a 21 year old. It's cool who came through that internship program, like yourself, Ezra from Vampire Weekend, Michael. Oh, I didn't know that. Michael who did Mishka clothing was also an intern there too. No way. Yeah, like it's it. You know, I, I my relationship with them ended not so great, but uh, it was such a cool place to be. Like, I really did feel. Were like you? I was, the, did you work? Did you work there? No, I, I, I my band was signed to Matador for um, ah seven years, I guess. Oh. Um, I think just after you had left, but you worked with Miwa, right? Yeah, Miwa, Alex was the one that hired me. Um, I ran into Miwa. I, I should text her. She's the um, best. She's such a uh, such she's the best. Person. Awesome person. Um, Sonia. Sonia was my like main boss. Uh, Lisa. Wow, I'm shocked I remember all these names. It's kind of like, can you name all your teachers from kindergarten to 12th grade? Yes, Pro- probably Go. in order. In Miss um, Curvan, Sister Stephen, Miss Normile, my mother Mary Curry was my third grade teacher. Uh, no way, your mom was your teacher. What? That's not fair. From, that's, that's cool. That's dark. Yeah, I didn't talk about it's it. Dark. Like, no, because I, I. It was because I don't know. If it's because, dark. <laughs> because kids your when mom, she no, it was a, no, it wasn't dark. It was like when she she moved to seventh grade after my third grade year. And then, like, near do well seventh graders, when they were mad at my mom, would like seek me out and take it out. Oh, no. And, and, I, and I wasn't, and I wasn't a narc. So I just kept it to myself. And then that led to anxiety. But after, after uh, high school, like, it was also Catholic school, which was, which was not great. But anyway, back to it. Uh, Miss Sergeant, Sister Presentation, Sister uh, Jean Marie. Then after that, it was public school, and I had like tons of teachers. So that like, like homeroom teachers. I don't know, Miss Matteo. No, you don't have to. No, no, no. It's more about like kindergarten through K through six. I had the one teacher, and then boom, then it was uh, we were out. We were doing our own thing. Um, I got, I gotta, I gotta. Um, I have to leave. All right, I have to I, wrap up. I'm sorry, guys. No, I, I appreciate. Okay. Dan, do you want to talk a little bit more? Because we can talk about yeah. One King Dan. We have not talked Bloodshed Revenge yet at all. Oh, like Bloodshed, uh, Bloodlust Revenge. Bloodlust Revenge. That's, oh that's their finest moment because they have the guy, the singer, who I guess that was volatile. I don't know anything about why they broke up, but that singer worked the best with One King Dan. I think because I listened to other stuff, I like the music, but I'm like I don't, I'm, I'm not feeling the, the intensity like I did with the other guy. And what's his, I forgot his name. Uh, well, Eric, thanks oh, for coming right. on the show. Anytime you want to come back thanks, and talk Al. about Matador and and whatever, you're always welcome. I got to tell thanks, you man. about this guy in the bad brains. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I want you to talk about. Attitude, that's in the book. You got to go. Yeah. Ciao, ciao. Bye, Eric. Bye, Bye Eric. guys. Bye.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I was going to say, because Eric answered this question before, what got me into punk rock, interestingly enough, close enough with the Dead Milkmen, but it wasn't the Dead Someone introduced me to the Dead Milkmen, and I thought they were fun. But the skate video, uh, Streets of Fire, the Power Polota video from 1989. I was a lousy, I barely skateboarded. I wasn't good. Like I, my friends skateboarded and I like, I love the culture and magazines, but I, 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 um, I'm just like, I'm too highly, I'm too cautious for a skateboard. Like I just like, I just hurt myself all the time every time I did it. But that video with all the SST albums, all the SST music that I guess they got free license to, that was a point when Sonic Youth was on it, but it was like Sonic Youth, Black Flag, Minutemen, Firehose, but Minutemen, you can see, that's probably my favorite punk band. That was the band that like philosophically shaped me in like eighth, ninth grade, like like more than any other punk band. And uh, they reminded me of me is why. I'm like, I'm like, if I was in a band, this would be like, that's the band I wanted to form, but there was no one who wanted to form a punk band. So hardcore was just what was around. Yeah, like I don't, I don't want to uh, put anything on you if this is not true. But um, I'm a kid who had to shop in the husky section uh, uh-huh. as, a, as a kid growing up. I've always been like a bigger kid, a bigger dude, like uh-huh. a bigger adult now. But um, because of that, skateboarding same way for me. I was like, I love skateboarding. I would hang around, I'd try it, I could get on there, but like I, I couldn't do it in the way that uh, other kids did. And 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 by the same token, when I saw Mike Watt and D Boone and I'm like, oh, big dude's fucking doing it. I, yeah, fucking, yeah. I loved it. And and ball hog tugboat got me into everything. That Mike Watt solo record that came out like 19. 19- yeah, 95. I remember. I was a huge, huge fire hose fan at the time, too. So like I came in and I remember the song, the, the big song that got me was actually a fire hose song, uh, Brave Captains, first song on Raging Full On. And that song I probably played in my head. Played played more than any other song in the world. I forgot. I just stone cold forgot about that. I just did a friend's podcast where he asked me to pick three songs. Uh, my friend Chris and I, I picked an Aretha Franklin song, a song by a, a girl group from this a one hit wonder from Spain called Las Grecas, and the the third one I was like, "What's my punk choice?" And I and I, I chose uh, actually "Filler" by uh, Minor Threat because that encapsulate like because that song and like that whole the whole ian mckay experience and i'm not a cult member i'm he's not my cargo cult leader but i admire his integrity i admire the fact that i could go to dc 
and uh, I went to uh, his his uh, label and I found pictures of myself from 1993 at a Fugazi show. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, is that this show, this show, this show? And like, they had stuff yeah like literal i'm like i'm like you, you guys take and because i'm like kind of disorganized so i'm like the records just for the sheer records that he that he that he's kept of his art legacy is like so impressive to me i, I look at ian mckay in uh and he's not like i'm, I'm the same way like uh, to me it's a it's a polytheistic religion punk and, and yes in that too right like and he's one of the gods uh certainly right. and i think he to me, I'm looking at him more. If you look at Ian McKay as being like a Warhol-esque artist who right. runs this thing that produces culture, produces art, and the whole way through, he knew what he was doing had value. And that's like, as a young person, to be like, "Shit, I'm going to save this random scrap of paper because years from now, this is going to mean something, or I'm going to keep all these photos because this is important. What I'm doing matters." And I think that there's something so admirable and i'm definitely jealous of as a person who's constantly kind of questioning what i produce in a sure. way sure i i i same time i discovered punk i made a comic strip and it was like it was called captain bob it was like this i made fun of the concept of comic strips and comics and all this shit and i loved it in seventh grade and then in ninth grade i don't know what it was i go this shit sucks and i just ripped it like volumes of this thing and then three years later i understood that being in seventh grade wasn't a crime in of itself i was like why didn't i keep the thing that was this 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 time capsule of like who i was at the age of 13 because 15 year old me suddenly had this shame spiral about it not being good enough and i'm like what what am what am i thinking you know, like there's, it's not even like I have to go make something and, and sell it. It's just that I no longer have this like reference point to a time that I was giving myself mm -hmm. because of shame or fear of being, you know, uh, of something sucking. And that, and like we came, Eric and I came up in comedy, and like you have to just kind of get over it. You have to just be like, you know what, like. So I, I, this is so Instagram. I don't even know who said it, but if someone's like, every artist has to have a bad period. I'm like, hell yeah, man. You know, like it, they don't have to, you know what I mean? You don't, but it's like having a bad period. It's fine. Well, and then you realize like when you look at these scenes and the bands that actually wind up getting hugely fucking popular from these scenes, it's the band that all the cool kids hated, you know, like right. Blink-182, all the cool people in San Diego thought they sucked. You know, like that's, right. and they'll even admit that, you know, or like Nirvana, like talking to Doug Marsh from Built to Spill or, or Nate from Foo Fighters, who was in like Brotherhood back then, like all the kids that were like hardcore kids, they were like, oh, that band just sounds like Led Zeppelin. They suck. And like paid them no mind. Yet these are the bands that wind up becoming huge because, you know, maybe the cool kids don't have all the answers and maybe we shouldn't worry about what the cool kids think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and cool kids also is a cult of who depending on what what cool you have and like what and i don't know what because even like i i i've been thinking about it a lot lately because i'm like i got into this thing punk rock and i and i never made a lot of it you know i just was inspired by it and i was a i was a listener and i was interesting and i just my parents were catholic religious and i just i i full rejected religion from a very early age like i i paid lip service 
for the sake of peace in the house. But I never, because I have like people who ask me about it. They're like, how come you don't ever go to church? <laughs> and I'm like, I, because when I was 18, I didn't legally feel I needed to. And I just stopped doing it because it was like, a, it was a thing I did to make my parents not flip out about it. And um, with, with punk rock that became, I didn't, it took me years to realize this, but that was my religion. That was the thing that, that took me in. And, and initially I was very like punk rock was also, you know, I learned about politics that way. I was like, well, I didn't know why Ronald Reagan sucked when I was 12, 13. I understood, you know, cause I was like, you know what I mean? I was like, aren't they all just old, boring men? You know what I mean? Like that, that's how I looked at, anybody in politician has was presented to me in like a news format and then i was like oh there are there are bigger things at stake in my country like like learning just you know uh not uh, patriotism is branding mm-hmm. anyway you know what i mean you're canadian though but we have it up here you know we're oh here. yeah oh yeah 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 no i'm just saying i like canadians because you see beckles kind of i worked with him on a few things and i kind of saw that kind of per- reaction to America, which is like when I was younger, I used to watch SCTV like way better than Saturday Night Live because I was like, oh, you're making fun of America in a non like nostalgic way. You know, you're just sort of like, oh, those are the people to the South doing ding dong things. And I'm like, yes, that's us. <laughs> you, you have us better than we, we don't, we're, we don't, we don't have self-awareness in this country. We start, I guess we do. I don't know. It's a lot of choices here in America, but, uh, it's it's well it's so it's it's so i think from canada because like you're defined by being not american and not you know i'm saying this is like a a settler white person but like you know you define yourself as like (laughs) i'm not american and i'm not british my parents left england my dad left england and my grandparents left scotland on my mom's side because they didn't want to be there kind of rejected that culture in a way almost and like came to Canada so like what is Canadian like it's like kind of England kind of American but you've got to not be either so you have to like constantly be like I guess that's a critical thing like that's why I think there's so much great kids in the hall or or Nathan Fielder or like all these sorts of like interesting comedians come out of Canada because they can play American but they have this weird view of american society but we also love it like we can't like you don't fucking achieve shit in canada until you achieve anything in america you know the tragically hip are are bruce springsteen they're ginormous mm-hmm. but they would go to america and they play like to 400 people all canadians or friends of canadians that would be going to see them in the u.s and so it, it just it never felt like they were a big huge band in the way that drake feels like Oh, Drake right. is jive fucking enormous. Like he's oh, Drake what? transcends it. Americans like Americans like him. That's got to make him cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, being up from upstate New York, I used to watch Degrassi Junior High, and I didn't pick up that they were Canadian because I was like, they're just like it looks like where I'm from. Yeah. And I'm like something's off. <laughs> and like I was always like something's off. And you know what it was? It was uh, uh, chickenism, just like our like eighties like. The flag was like Reagan '80s was like that was fetishized and mm-hmm. like, and I guess like to and that's my early stages. So I just was used to this like ultra patriotism, like 
take down the Soviet Union. We're going to win at the Olympics. Here's some McDonald's cards. I remember 1984, they gave McDonald's was giving out. It's funny. I used to eat McDonald's when I was a kid. I, I touched it, but it's like uh, these scratch off cards for the Olympics. And then the Soviet Union uh, boycotted. And then we ended up getting like like McDonald's lost like billions of dollars in because they were like expecting the Soviets to do something. Yeah. You know, but it was like every American gold, you get a Big Mac. And it was like <laughs> it was a I don't know why I just mentioned that out of the blue. I just because I'm just thinking my American childhood was it was America at its peak, like 1984. It was a reverse 1984. But ever since that was the last year where kind of you could have that much of like a right wing thing be so mainstream. And like punk rock was presented as this thing like if you're on a subway and you see people with spiky hair, look out like punks became in the 80s what they couldn't like because they used to you know they'd use minorities in the 70s in like action movies to be like that's who you're after they're like we can't do that anymore so now punks in the 80s this so even my early idea of what a punk was was so off because it was from it was fed to me from like these slicked out news programs that it's this horde of like nihilistic sid viciouses and it, and it wasn't until I heard like Minuteman and like the SST band, so I was like, "Oh no, it's this other thing that nobody that that these idiots don't get." Well, yeah, you look at the presentation on Chips or Quincy and those like infamous punk episodes that they did, where like, yeah. punks are rapists and murderers, and certainly there are terrible punk people, as we both know. But yeah, there's also this amazing culture that like empowers kids and and tells you you can make art and you can do whatever you want and you can make your own reality and all the kids at school that are cool are bullshit and it's cool not to have sex and it's cool not to be <laughs> whoa <laughs> i was with all of them i was i play lip service to all of it except that one what? i was i when i was younger i was like i'm not i'm not saving it like i'm like <laughs> I, I there was never a moment like maybe to my mom i'm like oh yeah you know me but, I'm like, no. <laughs> but it's like societal rejection with a safety net that way. Like there's right, right. You, you can anything that you don't want to participate in society, it's like, well, that's fucking dorky anyway. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be invited to the cool kid party because cool kid party fucking sucks. They don't play good records there that are, you know, noisy or kids screaming or or like and later on, like, oh, my band didn't make it to the top of the music industry. Well, that's because I didn't want to, because that's a sellout thing. If I success makes me a sellout, so I I will run away from it, even though secretly I'd love to be able to make a shit ton of money and play stadiums and have people respond yeah. to my music like that. Yeah, like success is like for for people. I, I I've seen it happen because coming up in stand up, I watched a lot of people become something. Go from you know like. Like Hannibal, I remember when he first came from New York, I don't think he had money. I mean, he probably had some money, but like, I don't think he had a place to stay. He was like a funny dude who came in from Chicago and made his way pretty quick. And he was, he was incredible. Like he came and made a huge splash in the scene. And, uh, he but what the 12 yeah. hour show we did. And when we did a 12 hour show for the release of our second record, um, our friend was like, Hey, my buddy in New York to stand up and he wants to come and do a set. And then it was, you know, he was, the guy was hilarious.
No shit. Yeah, he was just I you know, he had a belief in himself too that I couldn't that was right. You know what I mean? But he like he didn't doubt himself at all. Like and he would just ask and do whatever show. And like I I, I learned the hard not the hard way, but like even stand up is like each room is different. Every and now it's so bubbled off. Like I don't know. Like I'm doing stand up again because A, my kids can wipe their ass they're old enough and so it's like a huge are you are you out of the weeds with that yet i am but because like the life of of being in a touring band like that's still my main gig Mm -hmm. um it's like i have to go out for work so now going to a concert fills me with unbelievable anxiety it's like i'm at a job and i'm like ready to get up and play even when i'm not playing um right it's better when friends are playing and i can kind of just go chill with them and and then I'll kind of deal with it. But if I just go to watch a show, my wife hates it. She's like, you've ruined concerts for me because I can't go to a fucking concert with you because you sit there just anxious the whole time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really. I, I, I know I get older uh, and I know that I'm always glad the show's over. Yeah. You know, like, like I just have gotten older. I'm like, I like, uh, I like how shows I like like end like my friend my I have this buddy Vince Avril it's Eric's buddy too this guy Vince Avril and he's in a band called Cross Control a hardcore band but he's you he's act stand-up. like I don't know who Vince is oh you know Vince wrestling podcaster extraordinary oh yeah 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 a friend I love of Vince. my mutual friend or married to Georgia um, who's been on the podcast as well oh okay um, oh yeah. yeah okay and also yeah. did an incredible hardcore label back in the day and put out the automatic seven inch from Louisville yeah that's a famous thing. Yeah, I met him. I remember I had a, I had a room that I wanted to stop doing because I was like I I couldn't trust the who was going on. And then Vince came on and he was great. And then I became friends with Vince after that. And then we found the hardcore connection, and we're like, oh okay, like that's why we're we're like this because he like he was like really into it. But we like the same, you know, like that's a very distinct New York hardcore and like what was happening at the very exact time. It's like like for example like. I don't know if you know the brand breakdown from Yonkers like that, that, that demo tape of all live performances I've ever seen anything in my life. I I put Thompson square park. No, I didn't see him at Thompson square park. I was in upstate. They came upstate and played the South Troy community center. I was 15 years old or 16. And I'll tell you, that was my favorite show I've ever seen rock and roll, any genre, the whole, the whole bag of rock and roll of ever anything beyond punk beyond hardcore it was the greatest show i ever saw i've never i've i've been chasing that experience ever since but uh i forgot the point of vince vince and i go to uh he you know he's friends with arthur from gorilla biscuits so whenever whenever there's like that package tour they go around but what's nice kind of about like some of the bigger older bands they'll still put a bunch of new stuff on the on on the show like mm-hmm. I like going to shows where it's like, oh, there's a festival and there's like seven bands I've never heard of. And I go, but it's like right when the Gorilla Biscuits are on, I'm almost ready to go. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, thank God they only have an album and a half. And I'm like, <laughs> and then I and then we're like, that was great. Time to go. Yeah. I, I'm uh, just tired. Well, I, oh god. 
Breakdown was uh, my first hardcore band. Our first show was opening for Breakdown on the Breakdown reunion. And oh, nice! Like you're saying, Jeff Perlin, one of the greatest front people ever. Like, yeah, Breakdown live in Thompson Square Park. Um, that video is probably my favorite piece of cinema ever made. You know, it's my favorite documentary. <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that because now I know what you're talking about. Because I was like, because I wasn't, I wasn't at live at thompson square park no, but no. i've seen that video and i and that's is that like on youtube yes i would have i have to watch that it's because I, I i the amount of times i don't know how many hardcore shows i went to when i was younger and how many times i tell people i'm like that negative land like the performance art band from san francisco not band but performance. you saw negative land i saw negative land at the wetlands in 99 or 2000 and that exploded my mind that's yeah. the number one thing i've ever seen it was the Christianity is Stupid tour. Oh, that's awesome. The, the, the name of a tour that I've had people want to punch me in the face for just saying. <laughs> I've been like, oh, so I'm a Christianity is Stupid tour. I remember this girl came up, she was like, what did you just say? Like, came, I was like, at a party, I was like, I saw negatively at the Christianity is Stupid. So she was like, if someone ever said that to me, I'd punch him. And I'm like, that's not even Christian. No. <laughs> Jesus would be like, you're stupid. He'd be like, okay, on to the next town. You that's know, what I'm saying. Turn, Jesus, turn the other like, cheek. Jesus is just like Ian McKay when it comes to that violence. Yeah. I didn't want not, this shit. <laughs> I don't want this shit. He's not starting violence. No. Do it in my name. But uh yeah, but Vince and I go to these shows. And we are in like in like I oh I was gonna say this earlier in the podcast. So there was the California takeover show that came back out here in 2020, right before the pandemic, and it was Earth Crisis. Uh Snapcase opened up, who I love, and the uh, Buffalo Snapcase, and then from here, uh, uh, there's only one truth. There's only strife. Strife. Oh, from California, yeah, absolutely. Strife. Strife from, but they had a very New York upstate. Their sound is very like steeped in like New Yorkness. I felt they they were fast. Like I think that was the other thing. Like at the time, everything was so groovy and slow. Right. Right. And they were doing like kind of like you know that fast like you're saying New York American hardcore, yeah, youth crew informed kind of like the gallopy kind of thing. And like that's what I was a I was a fan of all of them obviously, but Strife I loved because they were fast. But we went to that show, and then the pandemic was I think two weeks later. And if I didn't go to that show, and that show saved me because then I was like stuck in my house with like kind of rediscovering earth crisis. Cause I had an earth crisis anger. Cause I got punched in the face and I was like, they don't even care that people are getting injured. And it's like 1995. But I remember being so like, I finally hit that violence. I don't like it point. But what I realized, I told Vince, I go, you know, what's great about these shows as an adult, I just sit in the back. When I was younger, I was like out like in it, doing it. And then it would give me, and I enjoyed it, but it also stressed me the hell out. And now I and I never understood why people would go to the shows and stand in the back. And I'm like, now I do. I'm a guy who stands in the back and I love it. And it's just because I don't have to, I don't have I don't have the aggression anymore. And I don't also not in the face. That's my middle name. No. Dan, and, not in the face, Curry. Well, I think that's the thing about punk and hardcore that's amazing is that like as much as there's these legacy acts and legacy tours and you never leave it, there's also this idea that eventually it's not yours. And there's like yeah. a new scene. And those kids are going to be the new bands and they're going to interact with this culture differently and it's going to be scary and it's going to be weird for you but that's the reality in the same way it was scary and weird when 
we kind of took it over from the generation before. Yes. You know? Yeah. And it seems so quaint, but I realized I'm like, oh yeah, I, I was, there was people doing this for 13, 14 years when I popped in and it seemed that was like 30 years ago. So yeah. it's like, it's been, a, it's been, it's been a minute. And uh, that, I think that's why it survives too, because it's never, it never gets bogged down by one generation. Like it's almost like you ascend to a certain status, you ascend to a certain age and it's just like DIY. And what we're talking about is like what you're, I think you were kind of talking about with Vince, a certain type of punk and hardcore where like, it's like, it's deep, you know, it's DIY shows, it's ebullition mm -hmm. records, it's, it's earth crisis. It's like all these worlds interacting. Right. But like at a certain point, that world just cuts you off from punk and punk becomes this, this remains this kind of pure thing. That's just, you know, for the kids that are. In yeah, it. absolutely. That reminds me, um, what when I met Eric, we were doing stand-up. And this is in the book, I believe. I, I wrote a chapter about our Golden Sunshine, who's our hair and makeup person, who's yes. like is that like uh, but, but we made a connection because of punk, but it made it, it made it made me remember like the true reason. Like now I, I met Eric and we both did stand up and we got along and we philosophically agree. Which is always a good thing, you know, on the state on on God and government yeah. is like often like when I find people, if you're generally with me with God and government, we're we're good. And like that, you know, have a good attitude about it. But we used to do stand up and then there was at Arlene's not Arlene's grocery, the Arlene's grocery later on, but uh before that there was a place called the Continental in Astor Place in New York City. And they had punk rock metal karaoke. And one time we went with a bunch of comics and I knew like seven of them left immediately. And they had a live band, a karaoke list, a host, and then you would come up and do a punk song. And I went up, I'll never forget it because I did uh, Bullet by Misfits and I never really thought of the lyrics until I was reading them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and it's been a minute. I was like, oh man. As I was like reading the lyrics, I was like, oh, this is like Scott, like this uh Jackie O Kennedy <laughs> jacking suck, off. Suck. Suck it suck and fuck. You know, it's like it's really raw and nasty. And uh Glenn Danzig's kind of a dick. I mean I I can't help but like him, but I'm also like he's a bit much for me. Uh he's but, definitely not no sex. He's definitely not no. part of that squad. He's not a no-sex guy. No. You know, Ian McKay used to rag on the Misfits, too, like, for being not genuine. And I'm like, oh, I love it. You know, like, <laughs> one time I went to Lodi to meet my sister just because that's where the Misfits were from. I was like, because it was like a, kind of an equidistant point. I was like, Lodi, let's go there. That's where they're from. That's where the Misfits are from. And nobody cared. <laughs> and, like, it, there was nothing to it. We went to a, a you know, a... a Japanese restaurant but what happened was we went to the punk rock metal karaoke I did bullet and everyone else left and then Eric came up and did attitude by the bad brains and I and I take that moment core memory I barely knew him I was like all right this guy's good like and I and it, like both as a talent because he freaking nailed it you know the performance but also the taste and I realized from a taste perspective I can get with this guy god in government and that's probably that's always what distinguished him from others that's why vince i mentioned him too like because it's like the only other guy i really knew 
person not even guy like you know stand-up is a lot of guys but it's just like the only hardcore punk people were like eric who understood it and vince and after that everybody else was like i like something more i like aerosmith or whatever you know? <laughs> like, oh great <laughs> like if you're if cool. you're if you're from like a search certain like socioeconomic background where like punk would have been something that was accessible to you i don't trust you if you weren't into it like if you didn't find like and i'm not saying you have to be into what i'm into you can be in anything like promise ring to to like bikini kill to forgot like anything right 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 but if you didn't look at the shit that was being given to you and be like nah there's got to be something else out there i i find it weird you know like hip-hop too if you were involved in hip-hop also that's something where like you also like you know actively were like making your own culture creating your culture and involved in something but like the kids that, like you're saying, just like liked Aerosmith. Like Aerosmith's great, but like nothing to build your identity around. Yeah, no, I know. I I think, you know, and, and specifically where I'm from is pretty normcore. And then you know you got the Aerosmith, you know, and I you know Nirvana broke when I was in high school, so everyone liked Pearl Jam, which was also boring. Not, I'm not mad at Pearl Jam, but I'm just like, this is the Pearl Jam's Pearl Jam's Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And then. The first layer of counterculture was Grateful Dead. And that to me, I was not into. I was like, this is not my, this is not my subcult. And to me, now I realize much later, I've actually discussed it with some friends that I'm still friends with that understand punk and were into it and like would go to Fugazi shows with me. It's like it's like at that time at that time I thought that choice, and I still do, was a soft choice. It was like what you're supposed to do as sort of a white person. Mm. who doesn't want to play football anymore you could just go you could you could become a deadhead and it wasn't and to me it was it was always a stutter step and i remember how many deadheads then became born again christians and amongst deadheads they were like how how could this be and to me i'm like that's a lateral pass mm-hmm. like i'm like it's like i'm not i don't even I, I i i'm nice to this person now i'm nice to him now because they're they're both they're still into something i'm not into yeah yeah, 100%, so yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see the difference. So like, yeah, I get that because it's like if you weren't absorbing this and you weren't like understanding that you could do something beyond, and then like, and I also realized this about the dead. I'm like, this is just boomers marketing you. Yeah, like it's another boomer marketing. Like we already did it, and it was already, it was already done perfectly. So let's keep selling you this same thing over and over. And, and that that to me is actually the religion and the cult, the Grateful Dead, because yeah. like what, like you don't you're not making your own art. Like punk is great because like it's like here's this religion, and then it's like well go make your own cult, like go bring right. your own shit with it. Grateful Dead, it's just like you're worshiping this band, and they're on stage. You're, you're once again doing the tithing. You're like going on these pilgrimages to see them, but it's like you're saying it's just someone else's culture that they're forcing on you in the '90s, like. No, this is still cool. This is still cool, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and to some people it was, but it, to me it was. It reminds me of like, it was. It gave me an empty feeling, and I think that's where it is. It's like there was no encouragement outside of that mold that the dead were. It's like, well, there's a guy named Jerry. If you like, he looks like Santa Claus, and there's a guy named Bob. You know, and also punk made fun of Grateful Dead, which also like because I I knew sometimes. When someone else, like, I'll, I'll, something will not hit me right. Like, no offense to Family Guy, but I was like, I, I saw a couple Family Guy episodes. I was like, I'm not into it. And then South Park did this thing called 
cartoon wars where they like savaged family guy and then for a minute i was with him and i'm still in but i'm like oh now i know why i don't like him you like kind of spoon fed me from a cartoonist perspective and a writing perspective I'm like why this show isn't good and it was it's very catty but sometimes someone else will bring that like punk brought that out with me in the dead where i was like i felt like that was sort of the dead milkman made fun of the grateful dead yeah and, and teen idols too Ian McCarthy. teen idols yeah you know, that's right there's a uh yeah like but then it's funny because like the grateful dead and this is like i i hated them i fucking had no time for it as a kid <laughs> and then as an adult once i started smoking weed go figure i was like well like you know what's maybe these two jerry garcia solo records aren't terrible and then i you know listen to the first grateful dead record and then i had to stop because everything else is unlistenable but i i can see why people would like it but like you're saying it's not it wasn't my reality and it wasn't my culture and it, and it wasn't cool fucking hippies that maybe knew manson hanging out in san francisco taking drugs by the time i was into it it was like just the annoying kids in my school that were just yeah, like falling into it just because that's what you did by default. Like, oh shit. You're like you're saying, I can't play sports anymore. Might as well get into this thing. Yeah. That my parents like. Exactly. And but and then also probably I had parents who were silent generation, not Gen X. Most of my not I mean, I'm Gen X, but most of my most of my peers' parents were younger and mm. they were boomers. And my parents were silent generation. So they're like, they missed the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> so so the fact of the matter is there was no grateful dead in my house so it was easier to not be a deadhead probably on some level but i i remember that was like a choice you had to make in seventh or like eighth grade it was just like what, you, what kind of what kind of skater adjacent person are you going to be are you going to be a deadhead or punk punker and i was like punk all the way because it spoke to me and it wasn't even a choice. It was like, this speaks to me. This does not speak to me. So I'm just like following my instinct. Yeah, like it really was one of the greatest, you know, once again, not to beat this religion thing to death, but it was almost like a religious experience once I kind of found this thing where shit, kids can go here. It doesn't matter if you're cool. It doesn't matter what the fuck you're wearing. No one's yeah. going to judge anything because you're just here amongst 10 other people watching a band that can barely play in a basement of a record store and that's that's the coolest shit in the world and why would you want to be anywhere else yeah i think people missed out yeah i, I really do I, like, I look back and i'm like a lot of people missed out on something like you know going through you know at the time cd and tape deck like just spending hours at a record store it reminded me of like just a few years earlier going through a comic book store and being like finding all the things and then one day it was like now it's this this music and i don't know i don't know i, I listened to a lot of, i don't have a lot of hard stuff here in uh uh um uh, in california i have stuff at home like some old vinyl and stuff like that but i miss that I don't, and i can't bring it back because i'm just I, I i'm too cluttery <laughs> I, I do like things for some reason because it's just like clutter I get clutter and I, and I, and the less I have, the happier I am. So I, you can't see it now because I'm not at home, but I'm normally surrounded by these possessions that are my prison and uh, these records that, like you're saying, it's just, it, I don't know, they're, they're, they're like artifacts when you first get them as a kid, like yeah. connect the pieces. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're like you're saying, you miss out if you're not into this thing, 
because you also like you met Eric because of the punk connection. Yeah. You know, you meet you meet some of the most interesting people I've met throughout my life have were involved in punk. It's yeah. Going through the thanks list in Eric's part of the book, where he's like jackass, I'm like, oh, I like Aaron was on this podcast, uh, Jason was on this podcast, and Steve was on this podcast. Like, all of them completely different versions of punk, but all of them came out of punk rock. And and like, yeah. uh, you know, Jack Black, he's like another guy that came out of punk rock too. Like, there's just so oh, totally. weird people, like interesting people in every walk of life that came out of this thing. My wife has a friend. Uh, she's an actress, but I became friends with her too. Her name is Sarah Burns, who she was. She was on Barry for a few seasons. Recent that's her most recent thing. But she she's been in some stuff, and she was really into punk rock. And we we talk a lot about uh specifically the thing is uh first minor threat album, which we talked about before. But uh, she was there the night Gigi Allen died. She was at her the story. Last, yep, she was yeah, at the yeah. last Gigi Allen show. At the, gas the last night. show, she was on the yeah. show, and it's it. Oh, blew, she was on your show. Yeah, it blew my oh. fucking mind because it was yeah. like, I'm a I'm a fan of you know for from everything she's been in like Drunk History, obviously Barry and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but uh, was it How to Get Away with Murder? That okay. <laughs> my wife yeah. and I were obsessed with that during the pandemic. Like just depressed, watched like nine seasons in the course of a month. And she's, she's like a main character in it. And to find out that she was at that last VG Allen show was just like, what the fuck? And this brings us full circle. Now I know why I know you, Sarah Burns. Sarah I, Burns. I, and I just spoke to her. I spoke about her, spoke about Vince as if you didn't know these people. And I'm like, you know that. Okay, because Sarah posted that because I find that story. Because she told it to me kind of in passing without the story. Just I was there. And then we had her on the show. I brought her on to Eric Andre's show season two. And then Eric went into it. And then that night, I remember we I went out with Sarah and uh and Margot and she told the full story. And it was it was it's her story to tell, but it was like, oh wow, because like I saw Gigi Allen, never saw him live in a in a zine. I can't remember which what it was, but I remember being like, why would anyone like I would never go near a guy throwing poo. That to me, boom <laughs> and pee. I'm like razor blades. I'm like I'm out. The big three together. This guy's guaranteed to be into that stuff. I'm like I wouldn't go near it. So that's why I was like, oh, you're very brave. I mean, he. I don't think he ever came upstate New York. If I if he did, I never heard that he did. But I, that was a no go. But I've been fascinated with that guy's existence. That's that's Todd Haynes' best movie, hands down. Oh, absolutely. Uh, hands down. Like, I don't mean to make fun of it. I'm not making fun of his other stuff. His other stuff's... I didn't like the Joker. I thought it was like an incel but um, the the first Hangover was okay, but I'm like, the, the Gigi Allen. If I ever met Todd Haynes... Is it Todd name, Phillips right? or Todd Haynes? Todd, Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. Todd Haynes is the other director. Todd Phillips. If I ever met him, that's what I talk about the whole time. 100%. Like, like that is... That is you were around like like a dirt messiah of horridness who is just a complete negative thing, but it's fascinating. Like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have followed him around with a camera. Yeah, like if we if we're talking if we're once again going back to this religion bullshit and this is like a polytheistic thing, uh, he's like the devil. <laughs> Yeah. 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 My wife once goes, Why why are you obsessed with Gigi Allen? I'm like, oh, I'm not obsessed with him. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, woo, I'm glad like yes. I'm not like glad he's dead, but I'm like, kind of am. 
Like I'm like I that guy tear like there was no boogeyman in punk rock to me more than Gigi Allen. Like because everyone else had a point. I felt like to some degree. I'm like this guy doesn't have a point. He's just like sheer nihilism, and uh, and he's broken. And his he was born. You don't name your kid Jesus Christ. That was his name, Jesus Christ Allen. You know that? Yeah. You don't slip him acid. That was the other thing, right? That broke his brain when his brother and his friend slipped him acid. Apparently. Oh, that's that what happened? That one of the. I think they say that and hate it. At one point, when they go up, I think uh, to visit his family, and they're like, "Yeah, we slipped him acid one time. He was never the same." <laughs> yeah. Like Dee Dee Ramone was in the band for like a week. Oh, this is that part. shot where he's like, "Just join the merch jug. He's gonna be sick," and it was just like. Dee Dee Ramon left four days later. <laughs> they played two kids. I, I want to do um, like a documentary from all the episodes of Turn Out of Punk, like Six Degrees of Gigi Allen, and just have like all the weird Gigi Allen interactions that people had throughout punk. Because like, you know, I hated that scene where he's doing the reading at the university and he sticks the banana in his ass. Yeah, yeah. Walter Schreifels <laughs> was in the crowd. Oh, really? Yeah, when he was on the show, he's like, yeah, I was at that thing. You can't... He's like, you can kind of see me run away when they pan to the yeah. audience when he starts throwing the banana. But it seems like no one believed, like it's pre-YouTube, pre-social media, right? So no one believed Gigi was real. Yeah, I barely did. I I realized he was real, but originally it was just in print. And I remember the look. He had bashed his head in with a microphone a bunch of times. And he was just like, uh, he's just, and I remember what he was going off on specifically was, Guns and Roses. It's like parents think Guns and Roses are bad. Those guys. <laughs> it's just like I drink my own diarrhea, and you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, they don't do that. I worked in a video store, and we had this thing called the Affliction video. Have you seen right? this shit? It's no. got like Annie Sprinkle in it. Um, it's got all these different performance artists from the '90s in it. Um, Mike Diana, you know that comic artist guy that was like, yeah, all that shit. He's in it. He takes a bunch of epicac and throws up on a Bible, but it takes awkwardly long for him to, for, to take effect. So he's just like talking about it for so long before he's able to throw up on it. At one point, a, a guy jerks off and then stabs his penis with a pin and blood comes out. And his cum comes out at the same time. But this, ah. is, <laughs> but this is building up to Gigi Allen's part where Gigi Allen's got a thing of fries on his chest. And puts a fry in a woman's ass and pulls it out and then just diarrhea all over the french fries. And then he's eating the fucking french fries. <laughs> uh, he was so, he was so, you, he would, there was no way, I don't know how he was able to exist in public for as long as he did. Yeah. I think because it's like pre internet, right? Like, so no yeah. one's believing this shit. Um, have you watched that, you know, the last video, like after Sarah watches Gigi play, you know, he goes walking down the Lower East Side, right? Yeah. I mean, if you watch that video, because I rewatched it after Sarah was on the podcast trying to find her in the crowd and stuff. Um, there's this part where this couple, like very much like seems like a New York kind of art couple holding their like small child, go up to Gigi and he's covered in shit and covered in blood. And they're like, Kevin, Kevin. And they give him a big hug and they give him a kiss. Hello. And then hand him the baby because Gigi gives the baby a kiss. The guy calls her husband over and he, or like her partner or whatever. And he comes over. He's like, Hey, great to see you. And talking to Gigi, like must know him from the art world, I guess. And it's like, don't these people smell him? Like, can't you? They're like, he's just, he's from, a, he is a canvas. 
Like this guy, this is the guy I told you about. He's a canvas, and his 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 fluids are his uh, medium. I felt bad putting my kids down on a change table in the public restroom, and here they are handing it to Gigi. Oh yeah, I don't miss that at all. I forgot how to do that. It's great. That's like, amazing. I, I deleted it six. I've been out of the game for a while. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have to. Yeah, go ahead. I've, I've kept you far too long, and you probably have stuff to do tonight. But I really appreciate you having us on. I, I, you know, and I now I know why because I started following you after Sarah. Sarah posted you, and I'm like, I like this guy. And then right at the end of the podcast, we figure it out. I was like, that's that makes sense. Well, I knew we would have a great time when I heard you mention One King Down on a podcast, and everyone knows sell it, and me being like, oh my god, we could talk for two hours just about One King Down, me be. Oh, Mike Scoville. I was in a band with him. I suck. No, I, I was like, I, I was, I was absolutely shit. And what was the band was, like? What was the vibe of this band? Though was it, it was our band? Well, he was. He's two years younger than me. I had a car. That was a big part of it. Um, and I'm tone deaf. And like I and I and I he he to me he was virtue like he was a virtuoso on the guitar. He was the best dude around, hands down, on guitar. And he basically told me what to do. <laughs> so, so was it like and i was but like and then then he was like bill his brother played bass and withstand and they the withstand broke up and then like he dumped us and correctly i might add he he the, and uh born one king down like right afterwards and uh and then when i listen to one king down now i'm like i can hear and remember it's so his style, like the way the way he way he plays was so specific, and I'm like, that's fucking Mike Scoble, and I just know it just from and like and I and I, and I consider myself very lucky to have like at least been in something that was with such a, like a, a who I think is a brilliant guitar artist and shaping songs. I sound like an idiot when I talk about music. No, don't believe me. I, I've been in a band for so fucking long, and I can't play a note. So you hear me talk about it. Um, yeah. What about Devoid of Faith? Did you ever see those guys? Or Monster I X? never saw Monster X. I remember. I don't. I never saw Devoid of Faith. I remember the big another big band, uh, Stigmata, yes. the Troy Stigmata. Yeah. Uh, with uh, what was his name? Bob Riley was the singer of them. They were they were intense. It, it's interesting. I got a friend, uh, Jason Green, who sang in the Orchid, and he he grew up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, he's talking about going to these shows where these are like hard ass fucking bands. Like Stigmata is like a hard band. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were hard. And it's like, uh, it's so interesting how now hardcore's gravitated so much more to that sound. But it was such a, like a a small scene back then with very large men on stage. Yeah. Mike's the the Scoville brothers are little guys. Like Mike yeah. was anyway. But but you know what? I realize now. I knew him when he was still growing. <laughs> that's like that. Like that's how young he was. You know, he was like not fully a fully grown man yet. Stigmata played Toronto, and they got double booked with a Promise Ring show. So Blood for Blood and Stigmata had to play at two p.m. on like a Wednesday. And right. Probably four people there for that show. Uh, it was great though. I, you know, they were very pissed off. If you want to see a very pissed off Sigmata, see him play for four people. Yeah, I've seen I've seen him pack the house. I mean, the the the, the South Troy Community Center was where I saw a lot of those shows at that time, and that was like the 
the Troy venue probably at like late 92, 93. And then uh they then you know there's like Saratoga winners, which is and then Albany had QE2. That's where I got punched in the face at this uh, at the the Earth Crisis show. So were there any bands that were more like what you liked in terms of you know no no like I, I i loved the Minutemen. yeah like i was like i was like gaga for them and that time had passed it, it was it was seven years old at that point which is light years in in punk rock and everything like that and i, I you know I, the the my town itself is clifton park which is kind of like a jerk-off town i always say that but it is and <laughs> so like i have like pe- the people who i know from there who know i like them you know what I mean? So it's not yeah. like I'm like, hey, yeah. dude, you're going to be a jerk off. I'm you like, no, not back. you. Yeah. I talked to you. But uh, um, but again, like I, I felt like there weren't many people who got it, who understood. It's like you said, like, it's like this, there's this whole huge thing happening right now. And then this other subculture was already between the jocks and the punks, was the hippies. Mm-hmm. And that was like huge. And that's I guess that's very upstate New York, but it was it was it it bothered me at the time then i forgot about it and then recently for whatever reason i've been thinking about it again because it's just like that was weird <laughs> like like growing up's weird and things <laughs> change so much and you're like and these were my concerns back then you know yeah. my surface concerns like no you like the dead oh man but there was also like those divides in punk right like oh, oh yeah pop punk kid like now you realize like all the shit is basically it's one thing but back then, like the smallest difference was ginormous. It was ginormous. I remember I liked uh, Life of Agony, which people would say, that's a metal band. They would just say that to you. They're a metal band. They're not hardcore. And I'd be like, okay. Like, I, like the amount of times I had to be like, okay, it's, I like the, the album. I could cut the suicide parts in it, the River Runs Red album. And I'm like, is it metal? So I listened to it recently. I'm like, maybe it's metal. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know because I was in tenth grade when that was <laughs> that was hitting. But that was that was. I remember that was the big sticking point. Like people like pointed it out. Like you know what? That's not even authentic. Like it's authentic. It's just its own thing. Well, yeah, and it's like people protect this shit because it was so important, right? Like it was yeah. like it's because someone's not playing this type of music you like correctly in your mind. You, you you have to chastise anyone that listens to that band. <laughs> that guy. There's also just like interscene, like being from upstate New York, of the New York scenes. Like New York City was the center of it, but Jersey and Long Island, specifically Long Island kids, were very like you guys are like derp. <laughs> like Long Island people were really condescending to upstate people. Like I like because because it's almost like. We're from closer to the city, buddy, or we're we're basically the city, you know. But like the city people, and we're all those bands, like Sick of it All, all those bands would come up, and they were so nice because they were just like happy that this thing that they had, they could drive in one day and night. You know, it was it's like two and a half hours away, but they could play a gig and theoretically, if they felt like it, drive home. Once you're even in a band period, you're like, I don't fucking care. Like as long as the kids aren't Nazis. I don't give a yeah. fuck what this kid's like, or if this kid likes more metal music or more punk music, as long as they're here responding to what I'm putting out there. Exactly. That's fucking amazing. That's, that's everything. Yeah. I have to go. because I do I'm, have to let you go, but it's been awesome. Have, Come back. It's been a great, 
Thank you for promoting the book. Dumb ideas. Me and Eric, thanks for reading what you could. And come back sometime. We'll talk more punks. I will. We'll do. We'll talk about what we'll talk about one king down to. I'm gonna I'll send this to Mike Scoble. I'll be like, hey man, I talked all this shit. I talked a bunch of shit about you. Thank you for coming on the show, Eric and Dan. Dan and Eric, and you heard right there. Dan will definitely be back for a part two. Eric, I, I don't know. I didn't really get a firm commitment one way or the other, but Dan will definitely be back for a part two at some point in the future. Pick up that book, Dumb Ideas, wherever you find your books. Hopefully in a store. Check it out in a store. But if you buy it online, I'm sure that works too. However you get your books, get a book. Read. Just learn to read. All right, on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, let's keep the, uh, the duos going. And roll on into a return and a first time. Coming back to the show, Jason New Darcy from the uh, Bob Mold Trio, from Super Chunk, from uh, Verboten, from The Cleaning Ladies, one song from The Cleaning Ladies, uh, from tons of other stuff. I'm, I'm Sunday Real Estate. Jason is one of my favorite people in the whole world, one of the most beloved people in all of music, and he will be joining us along with his buddy, and, and I guess my new friend now after this show, uh, actor extraordinaire f- from so many movies. We can run through his IMDb, but we'll, we'll do that in the intro for the next episode. But Michael Shannon, and the two of them will be discussing their musical collaborations and uh, just kind of getting into punk and acting and fun stories. It's a good one. It is a good episode. Well, that's it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and make sure that people have the right to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems. Because we're not talking about political issues here. These are just basic human rights issues. So get involved in organizations that are affecting positive change if you want to see positive change happen in this world. Um, there, are, there are organizations that could use your time, your money, your, your support, whatever. Um Speaking about getting involved, get involved in punk, start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast, not not a podcast, but anything, anything, because this culture gets better when you start contributing to it. And things that get better when you contribute to it, organ donor programs, because without you, there's no organs to donate. And I've seen that shit perform miracles, as I say all the time. So sign those cards, donate those organs. And if all this shit is stressing you out, try meditating. It really does help breathing and, and whatnot. No specific doctrine or practice just try one that works for you and i'll see you on the next episode thank you for listening bye bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye. 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.